the longer that I run businesses, the more I realize how similar a business is to a marriage. And so that's why when I met Brian, it was really easy for me to say like, hey, we got to have you come on to actually talk about the nuts and bolts of law firm mergers and law firm splits. You know, a lot of firm owners that we've talked to have been through the different things and kind of getting a feel for what happens. Obviously, each situation is going to be different, but I'm really excited to have Brian on. For those who that don't know, he's a trial lawyer based in Chicago and a partner at the boutique law firm Cabot, DeVito, and Rosting focuses his practice on representing business founders, owners, and investors in disputes concerning partnerships and corporate ownership and governance, business dissolutions, sometimes referred to as business divorces, hence the theme we're going for here, and, it, and also represents them in litigation resulting from mergers, acquisitions, and other corporate transactions, specifically a lot, representing a lot of lawyers and law firms in such disputes, because Lord knows, Nobody likes arguing more than lawyers, especially when it involves lawyers as clients and also lawyers as lawyers. So I'm super excited to have Brian here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jordan. So, and once you hear Brian's wonderful wisdom on how law firms like marriages, mergers and splits, you're gonna to wanna to follow him across social media. So we've got uh, some contact information for him. Breezy's gonna drop links in the comments to everybody watching this. But if you are listening on the podcast, you've got B Houseman, H-A-U-S-S-M-A-N-N at tdrlawfirm.com. You've got linkedin.com slash I-N slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Houseman, H-A-U-S-S-M-A-N-N to follow him there. We've got the office line will come in on Facebook at 312-762-9471. And anything else you want to make sure that we add, Brian? No, I think that covers it. Cool. All right. So we're going to dive into this in about 30 seconds. Before that, I want to talk about our last episode. Uh, obviously, we did not have a show Monday. One, Facebook was down. Don't forget. Uh, two, I also had a little bit of a, my kid had a fever, had to go home sick and we couldn't get old of my wife. Everything's totally fine. I appreciate your concern for that split second. But those things happen to line up to have us not have a show last week. So our last episode actually aired or on Monday. So our last episode actually aired last week. That was with Victoria Collier talking about the biggest mistakes to avoid when considering selling your firm. And so for those of you not ready to sell, but interested in merging or splitting, that's why we got Brian on. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Me too. All right. Let's do it. So when it comes to what you do with the trial lawyer, the business stuff, what's the most common problem that you see? Like before we talk in the nuts and bolts, like what really leads to these splits or leads to these firms wanting to merge most frequently? So especially on the split side, I think the biggest problem, Jordan, is that, um, and, and, and I'll just boil it down to kind of a, a, or kind of give you a very high level answer to that. I think the biggest problem that we see is one group of lawyers or one group of partners or one partner doesn't, doesn't feel that their contributions to a firm are properly valued. And so that, it's, oops, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. So it's more that internal, I don't feel like I'm being heard more so than is everybody else being like that dude's not pulling their weight. Well, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's partly I'm not being heard sometimes. Oftentimes what I'm talking about is money, right? Money God, is the most common thing. So when I say I'm, my contribution isn't properly being valued, that could be I'm not being properly compensated, or it could be I'm not, giving, I'm not being given the proper opportunities to, 
you know, take part in firm leadership, to, uh, you know, be a, be a partner uh, who, who leads a successful practice group, whatever, whatever the thing is that, that you might want, that's what I see. And oftentimes the fight in a, in a law firm, particularly on the breakup side, is between what I'll call the worker bees and the rainmakers, right? The rainmakers say, I'm responsible for all of the firm's work so I can spend six months of the year at my vacation home. And the worker bees say, but I'm responsible for all of the day to day. And I think that unless unless those two groups find a way to talk to each other and and find a formula for compensating each other that makes sense to them, you're always gonna have that that tension and sometimes it boils over into a dispute. So that's funny because uh, I obviously I am biased as a as a owner of a marketing company and also the rainmaker of a law firm. I look at it that way. I have the benefit though I married my worker bee wife, who is a way better attorney than I will ever be. So I uh, I doubly committed to bridging that gap or whatnot that you see from a lot of firms. Yeah, and I think that it, as long as you have uh, you know as long as firm management is comprised of both worker bees and rainmakers. And as long as the way that they compensate and promote within the firm, you know, includes both of those camps, you're, you're going to have a wildly successful firm. You need both of those things to have a successful firm. And, but, but most often if, when I get a phone call to represent one side or another, the issue that's led to it is, one side feels that they're not being properly compensated or they're not being, you know, they're not being heard to your point earlier. Well, I mean, look, marriages end over sex and over money. So law firm marriages end over money, I guess not sex, but some probably do, but money <laughs> and, and branding opportunity, I mean, whatever that looks like, the sexy side of it. The sexy side. I think that's, there's something to be said for that. I was asked, you know, I, your colleague, I was, I was saying before you joined Jordan, I was saying that I'm not sure how marketing really plays a role in it, but sometimes uh, those who are really responsible for putting the firm out there for marketing them to external, uh, you know, business partners and clients are not, uh, are not valued necessarily. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting concept. And obviously, like, look, we've designed um, Exhibit A attorneys to talk to attorneys and other experts across the country about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful lawyer. Part of that is marketing. But ultimately, I mean, what the point that you made before is making sure the you know worker bees have a seat at the table is huge. And really, like the goal of this, the goal of this live show and the goal of having you here is to help answer you know those questions that law firm owners have, because oftentimes we don't have the money to you know, call you and ask you about it beforehand. We don't have the money to sit down and you know, hire a marketing company to work with us one-on-one. -on -one. So we try and share you know, the, uh, the, the breadth of knowledge across some amazing people across the country to drive that value, or at least the initial questions to look at. Yeah, so I think that that's the highest level thing that you have to look at is, are the, are the, are the partners in the firm, you know, do they feel like they're being valued? And that's money's a big part of that. And but but you know, there's other ways to value your partners. A thank you goes a long way, right? I, I've had disputes where someone will say, "I worked with this guy for 30 years, and he never once thanked me for the things that I do for the firm." And um, you know that that can uh, rankle. <laughs>
Yeah, they. Um, I'm a big fan. There's a guy, Jesse something, who runs the Savannah Bananas. Um, they're a minor league baseball team. And so they have this thing where everybody writes one thank you card a day to somebody else, whether they're there or not there. And he was, he was on some podcast sharing a story of like the person who had been there for 20 years got a thank you card from like two people on the same day and just like broke down in happy tears. Like, oh my God, everybody loves me. Um, and, you know, nothing serious, but it is, it is amazing. We're emotional creatures, right? Like that's what it boils down to. Yeah. So interesting point you made here. So when it comes to the merger, I think we have more control over what it looks like going into it from day one. So from that standpoint, I mean, it sounds like making sure we know who's going to be responsible for marketing, firm administration, doing the work, those things. Are there any other like overarching large tasks that firms need to make sure they've divvied up at the beginning to have a successful merge? So I think what, what, what I see as problematic in mergers is what I'll call firm culture, which sounds a little bit, you know, esoteric, but it's, it's not, it's, I think, I think firm culture is a very real thing. Oh, and, and I think that oftentimes it's kind of the, the same problem, but it's just a different aspect of it. Even if you get your compensation formula to be perfectly responsive to the different types of inputs, right? Um, oftentimes when, when you merge two firms, you have to make sure that the practice groups themselves are compatible and hopefully there's some synergy there, right? Hopefully they feed off of one another and it's a, you know, uh, it's beneficial for both groups. But I think you also have to make, you have to be careful that the, that the culture of those groups is similar. One, one good example I've seen, right, is in some big firms, you see this in DC a lot. In some big firms, there, there's kind of a, um, a stigma or, a, a, you know, there's a, there's a benefit if you are in DC, you're working at a big firm, you're either one of the lawyers who works on Supreme Court matters or you're, you're the others, right? And the reality is oftentimes if you look at the, if the dollars and cents of the firm's revenue for a year, the others are the ones that are bringing in a lot of money. Um, but, but they feel like they're not being valued within the firm because all the accolades and all of the congratulations go to the, to the attorneys working on the Supreme Court cases. So you got to really be careful to be kind of look down at our, our nose at you for handling those, you know, Type of, types of matters. Um, and if that's the case, what's going to happen is you're going to end up having fights over associates. You're going to end up having infighting over a host of other things that really just stem from, you know, one group feeling like they're being looked down upon. So there we go. So we're going to open up, you and I are going to open a firm in DC and we're going to say, forget the Supreme Court. We're only focused on the others. We are, we are where the <laughs> others come to shine. Um, we don't take Supreme Court matters. That's our, right. that's our, that's our whole motto right there. That's our motto. Yeah. We, we found our niche, forget the Supreme Court. We are less Supreme. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to practice in the Supreme Court, so I'm sorry. I can't, I can't join that firm. All right. But. Well, you had your chance, Brian, uh. so, but, uh, but seriously, so, so I, I love that concept from the, the merger standpoint in the culture thing. I'm a huge proponent of that. Like I think your firm culture is your internal brand. Your external culture is your branding because you need to make sure those things are cohesive and there can be huge issues other than the, you know, Supreme court one. I mean, are we talking about 
work-life balance firm culture? Are we talking about you know prestige culture? Are we talking about how they market culture? Are we talking about age when it comes to this firm culture being different? I mean, is it all these things and more? Yeah, I think it's probably all those things. I mean, most most firms aren't going to have the luxury of having the problem about you know a third of our firm works on Supreme Court matters and and. Uh, you know, but I think it's all of those things. And I think it's it's hard for me, you know, when we talked about this first problem of compensation, I like to tell my clients, you should have some metrics. You have to measure things. If you don't measure things, you can't properly compensate somebody for them. And you often see all kinds of disputes that arise over, you know, oh, well, the way we pay people is we have a committee and they hand out cash at the end of the year in their discretion. And that's a recipe for disaster, right? Um, especially if we're not measuring, you know, people's contributions. But but when it comes to this, it's much harder to say, oh, we have to have a metric. You know what I recommend? I recommend that you tell your clients, Jordan, uh, that before they have a merger, they're going to meet with the partners, right? And they're going to exchange financials and they're going to do all those important due diligence type things. Meet with the take the paralegals and the legal assistants out to lunch, meet with them, talk to them about how long they've been at the firm, what type of work they do. Do they, do they socialize with the attorneys? Do they, do they do joint events with the attorneys? Do they go out to lunch? What I often find is that if, if um, the legal assistants and the paralegals are happy and they've been there for a long time and they feel like they're, you know, a part of the team, that you, that you have a decent firm culture, that you're gonna be able to get along. And um, when, you, when you see high levels of turnover in the staff and things like that, it's a red flag and it's something to look out for. See, and that's interesting because I imagine there's that lawyer out there that's like, if I have to take the paralegal to, work, to lunch at this next firm, I'm never gonna join them. Whereas like, I think you and I are looking at it as, no, that's a positive thing. It is, it is. So I, I've got a question along those lines. You bring up an interesting point. When you were talking about these mergers, do you find the problems to be the same if we're talking about, you know, maybe two attorneys merging together with a with one staff member each versus, you know, a 15-person group going into a 30-person firm? Does that just exacerbate the same problems or are there truly different issues? Yeah, I think they're similar problems, right? I think it's actually, I think, I think you tend to exacerbate with, with a, with a big group coming in some ways, there's a benefit to that because, you know, uh, you know, minor, minor dis disputes that arise are not blown into, you know, nuclear, nuclear war because, um, you know, you've got more people to help, help handle those disputes. And, um, Oftentimes, I actually see the, a bigger problem in smaller firms where especially, uh, you know, where the practices are, are not, you know, quite the same, right? You're going to have uh, disputes over resources and disputes, and I, and I mean both human capital and, you know, staff, et cetera, and also other things. But that's the type, you know, I often, it's actually kind of like if you're in a smaller firm, you put everything, every, everything gets kind of put under a magnifying uh, glass. Well, I have a, a mentor of mine says, if you've never made a $2,500 problem, or a $2,500 F up, you haven't been trying hard enough. 
And like, I'm imagining, you know, at some of these larger firms, it's like, all right, it'll be, you know, it's a million dollar mistake that we made here, but like, so be it, you know, that's, that's six months of revenue with the 15 attorneys that came in or, you know, whatever the numbers work out to be, I could see that smoothing some of the stuff over. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, you, you, you're always going to have the financial component of this. Um, it's much harder for me, frankly, to talk about the, the culture component of it in some ways, because, um, you know, there's so many things to consider there. And it's, it's really hard to know is the honest truth. Just like when you talk to your law firm clients about, you know, hiring, it's really hard to know whether someone's going to be a good fit until they sit in the office next to you for six months and, and work with you on, on your cases. I know it's like, uh, what's your biggest weakness? I try too hard. Like, all right, you've been researching that for six months. Like, give me the, let's actually see what that looks like in practice. <laughs> but no, it's such a, um, it's such a good thing along those lines. So, uh, I don't want to lose my point on the last one. So I was, you're talking about the mergers. We're talking about size. Oh, so really it sounds like when we go to do a merger, we need to make sure that we are very clear about the finances of it. Very clear about what drives the needle on the finances, both, or I guess expenses and finances. And also that we like each other. I mean, is that really what it boils down to? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think, I think that's a, a large part of it. I also think that you have to be, you know, I come at this as not a mergers lawyer, right? I don't, I don't handle transactional matters. I, I handle disputes. So everything I think about comes from an experience I've had with a dispute. Um, and gotcha. where I see disputes and this is, so it's the, it's the other side of the coin that you have to be thinking about if we're merging, right? Where I see disputes are around, you know, day to day right now, year to year, valuing people's contributions, number one. And number two, the other thing to look at and think about is transitions. How, you know, uh, where are the, where are the transitions within a firm? So for example, are there, is there a group of partners that's, you know, 75 years old and going to retire next year? And what is, what's that look like? What are the firm's obligations to those partners? Is there a retirement plan? Um, are there groups of attorneys that are moving to an of counsel role out of the partnership, but they're still going to be affiliated? Um, is, are, there, are there plans to make additional acquisitions? We haven't talked about management and how the firm is managed other than to say, you know, we should value these different groups, but, but right. setting that aside, you know, what's, what's the, what's the plan over the next five, 10, 15 years in terms of growth, in terms of offices, are we going to open? Remember back in the nineties, right? Every big firm wanted to open, had to have an office in like, you know, 50 cities around the country. Right. And I appreciate that, was the big that you're thing. asking me about the nineties. <laughs> the, uh, the, the gray hair is clearly helping me out with this question. Um, well, I wasn't asking, I was commenting like that was definitely oh. a thing, right? everybody, everybody had to have, you can't see it, but I have a little bit of gray hair myself here. I had a client joke with me yesterday that, that, that makes me look like I'm 24 years old up from 16. The last time I, he saw me, there we go. Uh, but it without. lets you charge a lot more per hour with the gray. <laughs> I wish it was uh, proportionate to that increase, but um, yeah, the, uh, you know, the, you know, there was a period of time when every firm wanted to have, you know, 20 offices and it's, it's important to know, you know, what are those transitions going to look like if you're, if you're doing a merger, um, cause that's where you're going to have disputes. 
So, all right, I got one. I have one more question, and then I'll get you off the merger hot seat and into the the divorce seat. Um, in terms of making that merger best practice, like have a merger plan, have a contract, have a, something put together. Is that? I mean, I would think that would be helpful. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some some contract. I mean, the most significant agreement is going to be the the you know there will be a merger agreement, but the but the most significant agreement, frankly, is going to be the firm's operating agreement going forward, right? What is what is the firm's uh, governance agreement look like, whether it's a partnership or an LLC, and um, you know who's who's responsible for what and, and uh, you know, the big ticket items obviously are management and compensation. Love it. All right, so anything else about mergers or I'll get, I'll get you into the, the messy side. I mean, uh, sure, I think we're gonna talk about, we're gonna, I mean, as I said, every every don't do this is also right, be aware of it. Be aware. All right, so let's, let's, get, let's get into the mud and let's talk about some firm splits. Let's yeah. start slinging here. Yeah. What, uh, like what becomes, I guess, actually, let me phrase it this way. So let's say we've got this firm and the writing is on the wall. Nothing has happened yet, but the writing's on the wall. What can the responsible wanting to take the high road attorney do knowing the writing's on the wall to best position the split to be as, uh, to be not as acrimonious as possible? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great question. So that's, and that's the right question, I think. Thank you. Uh, I have to say, and this is obligatory. I think this. I think this was instilled in me when I got my uh, when I was admitted to the bar. But obviously, they should hire a lawyer. I mean, they they should have an attorney who knows how to handle these splits. Um, and maybe both sides will need an attorney, depending on what the nature of the split is, right? Uh, and maybe not. Maybe one attorney can help mediate. Uh, the, a resolution of the split. You know, the first thing is to uh, I, what's what's the T-shirt that's going around? Keep calm, right? So the first thing is not to overreact and do something, uh, you know, unilaterally. The, the biggest the biggest problem I see in in law firm breakups is somebody sees the writing on the wall and what do they do? They start calling clients. They start hoarding information. They take a thumb drive and plug it into a computer and download a bunch of stuff. They, um, you know, they they literally in the old days, right? They literally come in on a weekend and take client files and take them to their home, right? The files are in the computer. The files. Yeah, are right. The now they're now they're in there somewhere. They're on the cloud anyway. But but um, you know. Don't engage in self-help. Don't don't retaliate uh, for some perceived slight before there's open and complete communication about you know what's going to happen. And and oftentimes the, the the split is triggered by something that actually never happened. One side believes that the other side has done something that's improper or in violation of their obligations to the firm. And before they even give that person an opportunity, that person or that group within the, the firm an opportunity to discuss it, they you know engage in self-help. And then and then they're in a world of hurt. Because now the other side has a legitimate grievance about hoarding client files or making improper client communications. And then we have a big dispute. 
the old Watergate. It's not the crime; it's the cover-up. So it's it's not the uh, it's not the issue. It's how you handle it at the beginning. It really is. In that, in those first moments of of law firm breakup, can either you know uh, make or break it. And and if it's the latter, you're gonna. In addition to probably uh, coming out of it worse off than you than you would have had you simply communicated and been open. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna spend a lot of money on someone like me, you know, litigating, filing emergency motions and the like. Well, and especially from the law firm perspective, right? Like it's a pride thing, right? Like there's the, you know, I made this person in from nothing into something. I'm I built this firm on, you know, it's more my sweat, you know, f this guy, and the next thing or f this girl or whatever it is, and the next thing you know, like everybody digs in their heels and they're suing each other's spouses and kids and significant others and. The, uh, that one that was an intern for three weeks over that summer, and then everybody's emotionally invested. I just, I see it snowballing so quickly. It can be very emotional. I mean, remember, a lot of these, a lot of my law firm clients who have been who involved in a dispute have been together with their other partners for decades. Oftentimes, uh, they have personal relationships as well. So it can be very acrimonious. Yeah, I guess that's a good question. So in terms of you seeing firms split, I mean, what's the quickest you've seen the turnaround and what's the longest you've seen? Um, the quickest is within a matter of, of weeks. The, you know, there's at least an agreement as to how they're going to, you know, go their separate ways. And the longest is, you know, could be years of litigation. No, Okay, great answer. I'm talking differently. So in terms of like a firm coming together and then splitting, like have you seen oh. firms come together and split in, in six months and make this super serious or? I've seen it within a year or two. Typically, okay. you, you know, typically, you, you know, no one's going anywhere until we see how that year goes, that first year. Gotcha. Right? We want to see what's the overall performance of the firm. Frankly, it probably takes six months for them to just get on the same page, usually with respect to IT matters and uh, staffing and the like. And so usually the quickest, you know, is a is you know a year or two. I would say is kind of a minimum. Uh, but I've seen, you know, I've I've seen something right after that one year anniversary, uh, especially where throughout that year there's been a lot of friction over these various things that probably should have been thought about well before we joined together. And then at the other end of I mean, you're seeing firms that have been together what 20, 30 years. Yes. Yes. That's crazy. Sure. Um, yeah, I saw a split in a firm that was 30 years uh, and it was a pretty small firm. So we're talking a very close relationship for over three decades and uh, and a, a very acrimonious divorce like split. And that, I mean, I mean, how many people are married for 30 years anymore? Right. Well, work together years. as a business partner. 30 years that that's small. I mean, that's godparents that's uh, in each other's wedding parties. That's uh, it's a lot to go through. You got it. You got it. Crazy. So and then, right. and then we're talking about, you know, then we're not talking about client receivables. You know, we've got millions of dollars in client receivables and those are legitimate things to think about. And how are we going to account for them? We're, t we're talking about just like a divorce. We're talking about that guy stole my paperweight that was on my desk. And I want it back. The uh, all-time best. I had nothing to do with this case. Just heard the best story from another attorney that uh, it was a couple fighting over a samurai sword. And they were like, oh, like, 
passed down from generations, super serious. Like a family member brought it here from, you know, Japan or whatnot. And they were like, no, no, no. Like they bought it for, you know, 50 bucks at some garage sale. And she just wanted to melt it down and film it and send it to him because he valued that over a date night or something like that. I'm like, oh, cool. So now the attorneys are going to make like $5,000 having these people argue over a, you know, $50 garage sale sword, but such is life. Um, Let's hope it doesn't get to that for, for most of, for, for all of your clients and hopefully most of mine. Um, For some of mine, I I won't get the call until the samurai sword has already been stolen by one side or the other. And um, we're in full on, you know, war mode. Makes perfect sense. All right. So, you know, keep a level head, contact attorneys at the beginning, like what any other, you know, helpful tips for that firm that's about to start a split or going through a split? Um, well, I guess, uh, yeah, a couple of things. One is, right, the, 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 they have to keep the mindset that until there is a split, right, it's still a partnership. Jordan, you and I are still in a partnership. What does that mean? That means the partnership, everything belongs to the partnership, not to you and not to me. And our obligations run to the partnership and obviously to the clients, which means, you know, the thing, the thing really not to do is to get clients in the middle of this before we have um, our own ducks in a row, right? Clients will always have the choice of being represented in the future by you or by me or by somebody uh, who was never in partnership with us. But uh, the minute you get them in the middle of it, it's both an ethical problem. You're gonna have you know, some ethical concerns on your hand in addition to the legal concerns that you now have. And it's also just bad business, right? It's not, no client wants to be in that position, just like the children of the divorced couple, right? They None of them want to be called in and, and, and be stuck in the middle of that. No, totally. And, you know, that's such a great point because I, I see the situation where, you know, that one attorney brings in the, the gigantic $200,000 a year business client and then wants more money and then they split. And then that client's like, I don't want to deal with this crap. I'm going to a totally different firm. And now, you know, you guys are out the, the financial benefit that caused the, uh, the little the disagreement. So... Yeah, I mean, it would always be ideal, right? It, we can't, we can't, we don't live in the ideal world. And, and in some ways, that's to my benefit because I'm a litigator. But, but, you know, in the ideal world, right, we, we would agree upon how we're going to announce the separation. And it would be, uh, you know, a very vanilla announcement. And, and no one would think twice about it. And everybody would be happy. And, and but, you know, that, that isn't always how it goes. Uh, but typically, in, in that same vein, typically, and this is an ethical issue in most states, right? There are uh, ethical rules about how you can communicate with clients in a period of dispute like this. But, you know, best practice would be you and I send a joint communication. Hey, we've decided to go our separate ways. Um, we're excited for each other. You have the option of being represented by me or him or, or someone else, right? Totally. I mean, uh, as a Dolphins fan, I'm going to say, you know, you don't want to end your relationships like the Patriots do with a lot of their players. So did you see that? Well, we, we probably shouldn't be talking about the Patriots, but did you see that game the other day where he, where Brady comes back to New England? Yeah. That was awkward, right? I, what are you going to do? 
He's been playing for what is he? Forty-two now, forty-four now. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, the uh, you can't go home again. But I think it turned out better for him than as could have been expected, I guess. But anyway, um, don't get me started on sports right now. Okay, fair the, enough. So any other before you know, we're gonna get our final takeaway here for how people can be you know the exhibit A of a successful attorney. But anything else you want to make sure we cover when it comes to the mergers and splits thing? Anything? we skipped or any last minute, you know, insight you want to make sure we get on that topic. Um, so there is one thing. So we talked about compensation, but we never talked about the other side of the ledger. Right. I think you always, especially with a merger, right. You want to take a look at that as well. How do they deal with firm expenses? How do they, are there partner loans? Right. We want to think about not just, you know, the fact that, that Jordan and I are compensated appropriately, but wait a second, why is the firm paying for Jordan's vacation home? And, uh, you know, why is the firm paying him, you know, th uh, 30% interest on a loan that he made? Uh, those type of things you want to definitely look at. I think that falls under the rubric of financial circumstances, but, but it's something to keep in mind. And for a lot of those, I mean, I have to assume there's, it's a negotiation point or there's a situation where like, you know, you can wipe the, you can wipe what's left on the loan as part of the merger or have them, you know, hold out on something else. I don't know. Like there's a million different ways to go around all these issues, but I agree with you that transparency yes. is the key. That's right. That's right. That's absolutely correct. All right. So um, we will not have a show next week. I will be in St. Louis all week for the Maximum Lawyer Conference. For those of you that are not going, you've already missed out on probably the best conference, certainly the best in-person conference in a while. So our first episode, we uh, coming back, we will pick back up next Monday, Monday, October 18th. We'll have Seth Price of Blue Shark on. Seth's going to talk to us about the Internet Witness Protection Program, a.k.a. page two of Google, a.k.a. how you avoid that and actually get some exposure on your website from an SEO standpoint. For any of you who don't know, um, Seth is also a lawyer, also a marketer, also a great person, also a sense of humor, et cetera. So I'm super excited to hear from him where we chat on October 18th at 3.15 p.m. So for those of you listening to this now or watching this live, it's 2 o'clock. So an hour and 45 minutes after this show, 3.15, Seth and I will talk about that. But Brian, I've got that one more, one more thing before we go, that diamond nugget of wisdom. So if somebody's been listening to this for the last 40 minutes, they remember nothing you've said except this one thing. What would be your biggest piece of advice, your biggest takeaway, your most important thing to help somebody else be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? Yeah, so I would say successful law firms really think carefully about making sure that they value everyone's contributions and that, that, those, that those differing contributions, people contribute in different ways to your organization, that all of them are measured and valued in a way that that recognizes their contribution. And if you do that and you and you do it in terms of compensation and everything else within your organization, you'll be wildly successful and you'll never have to call me uh, to represent you in a, in a business breakup. There we go. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast this morning from uh, Lee Eckrell. I could be missing his last name. It was He ran uh, Walt Disney World for a very long time. And he talks about exactly what you talked about. He's like, you know, how do we figure out how to go above and beyond for clients? We look at what our front level employees did to go above and beyond for our customer, guest customers, my clients. And then we would share the information about it. You know, so they, they had one story where now 
every single one in housekeeping is taught how you can draw Mickey with a mop and it'll stay on the ground for like three minutes and whatever. Started out as somebody sitting there mopping the floor and thought this will be really funny. Like if I do this and a bunch of guests were like, oh my God, that's so cute. I love it. And it went in the newsletter and you know, it got passed along the, uh, the wholeness of uh, Disney and now it's in their training program for everyone in the uh, custodial staff. So it's just really interesting when you truly honor what people have to share, you will add some amazing new things to your whole firm. Absolutely, I think that's right. Although that was not the analogy I had in mind, but um, kudos to you for for uh, extracting that. There we go. Thank you so much for being here with us today. No, thanks for having me, Jordan. It was fun and uh, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.